Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see each and every one of you. Man, it's good to worship with you this morning and to just be in the presence of God um, with you. Uh, I've had a spectacular week. I hope you've had a good week. I had a very unique uh, week. I hopped on a plane Monday, and I flew down to the country of Peru and uh, just had an incredible time. I think you're going to see a picture on the screen that uh, if there's one picture of the whole week that I could pick, that was it, even with my finger kind of in the way of the selfie. Um, I got to go down and spend uh, a few days with Compassion International, which a lot of you are probably familiar with, an incredible organization that I've always had high regard for. My family and I have been partnered with them to sponsor kids around the world for a lot of years now. And uh, also with another organization called Stadia, which is a church planting organization. They help churches plant churches. And together, Stadia and Compassion have partnered together in countries like Peru to plant churches so that uh, the gospel can be shared, so that the incredible work of Compassion International can go forth in um, these countries. And I went into uh, this trip with, I'll be honest with you, high expectations because I knew a lot about um, Compassion, and my expectations were just blown away. They were just so far exceeded um, in what I experienced. And um, we got to go and see some of the most impoverished areas of Peru, which represents most of our world. Uh, the, most of our world are living in poverty, and they don't have the gospel, and they don't have hope. And I got to go spend some time with pastors and volunteers and teachers and leaders and people such as those kids that you saw on the screen and just um, see what God is doing there. And it's absolutely amazing. Those boys, if we can bring that picture back up, uh, those boys that I was playing, um, uh, I was actually playing Frisbee with them. They'd never seen a Frisbee before. I took them with me because they were easy to carry. And, uh, man, we just had a great time. And they lined up on both sides, like just kind of like down this aisle right here watching us throw the Frisbee. And the more we threw it, the closer they got and the closer they got. I don't know about you, but even if you're good throwing a Frisbee, the odds are it's not going to go exactly straight every time. So I'm just waiting on somebody's nose to get broken. Luckily, only like three noses got broken, and it was a great time. And these boys just absolutely just loved being loved. They loved being loved. Uh, we got to go in homes that were dirt floors and uh, people were just so gracious to receive us, and we saw the gospel at work. And I just want to tell you, this church, that uh, we are incredibly blessed in so many ways. And, and one of the ways that we're blessed is, is through you and through your generosity. There is such a spirit and a heart of generosity amongst this church. It just blows me away, and it's to the glory of God. And as a result of that generosity, we're able to do a lot of things here and a lot of things in other parts of the world. Uh, as we look towards the end of this fiscal year, this calendar year coming up, uh, December coming up, and going to be done with 2017, which is hard to believe, um, the generosity that's been amongst our church is going to allow us to do some really, really cool things here and in other places that we're going to be sharing with you really, really soon, and we're going to get to bless some people um, here and in other parts of the world, and people like that that are small and people that are big, people that have dark skin and light skin are going to get to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we exist, is it not? That's why we are who we are as a church. We live, we breathe, we move, we gather, and we scatter to spread this glorious, life-changing message of the gospel. There is so much more. I could take the rest of my time this morning talking about Peru and the experience and the stories that I'd love to share, but I just wanted to tell you a quick glimpse and let you know it was just absolutely um, incredible. I want to pray for about 10 seconds, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Father, we bow before you. 
We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word. May our hearts be fully open to you now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33 if you want to go ahead and open there. And we are getting closer to the end of the book of Exodus. We'll wrap this up next week. There's so much more that we could have spent time in and unpacked. But I pray that God has been using this story, this epic story from the Word of God, which is a true story. And all of the events are are. Um, are credible, and we can just know that they happened. And we've just been talking about this this Exodus and how God got His people out, the God who rescues. And today we want to talk about God's covenant. God's covenant. Have you ever wondered if you've pushed somebody too far? You know, you you just said something you know you shouldn't have. You you did something you know you shouldn't have done. Um, you pressed the wrong button. You get that look, right? You get that response. Have you ever done that with somebody that you really love and you know really loves you? And in that moment, you wonder, is it over? Did I, did I blow it for the final time? Are they ever going to talk to me again? Can they ever look at me again? Will they forgive me? And in that moment, you wonder if there's any hope of relationship continuing. Well, I've had those moments in my life where I've blown it like that. and You probably have too. Well, the people that we've been talking about, God's people in the story of Exodus, are in one of those moments right now. They have blown it. They have blown it just royally. God loves them. God has rescued them from hundreds of years of slavery. He's protected them. He's provided for them. He's fought for them. He's leading them. He instructs instructs them. And when he instructs them, they say, yes, Lord, we'll do everything you tell us to do. You rescued us. How can we tell you no? Yes, yes, yes. And then they didn't obey him. In fact, the way they broke their word of saying, yes, Lord, we'll obey you, was a we-don't-care-in-your-face kind of disobedience. They worshipped a cow made out of gold that they made with their hands rather than the God who rescued them from slavery. And so Moses, their spiritual leader, has been spending a lot of time with God really going to bat for his people and reminding, this is strange, but reminding God of his character and of his covenant. God brings judgment. Um, And we haven't read the entire portion of the story, but if you kept reading after what we talked about last week, you realize that, you know, a lot of people died at the hands of God's wrath as a result of their evil, corrupted worship of this golden calf. But God also brought grace and forgiveness. And if you read that story and you realize what all happened and you realize the judgment, you may say, wait a minute, grace and forgiveness? And I would say, yes, grace and forgiveness. You may show you the grace and forgiveness of God. He didn't kill all of them. 
And let's face it, they all deserved it. And yet God was willing to give them his grace and in his mercy. And so Moses continues in a heavy conversation with God about God's future role with his people. Moses didn't know how this was going to go. He was hearing things from God that were concerning him. God was beginning to distance himself from his people. And there's nothing more scary than the idea of God saying he wants to distance himself from you. And yet we're hearing this in the dialogue with Moses and God. And God even just says, you know what? I'm thinking about just saying, forget you. I'm done with you. In fact, he makes it very plain that I can't really hang around with you guys right now because I'm afraid if I'm really close to you and I'm looking at you and we're interacting right now, I I may just go ahead and do what I first thought about doing. I may wipe you all out. I may destroy you all. Look at Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 5. Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 5. It says, For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, You are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. It's one of those parenting moments, right? You're angry. You have a right to be angry. Your kids have just, in your face, just, you know. And what do you say? Go to your room while I figure this out, right? And what they don't know is that space is grace, right? They think going to the room is punishment, and what they don't realize is that allows them to live a little longer. Right? As a parent, you're wise enough to know, I need to cool down. I need to calm down. I need to remember not just what they have done, but I need to remember who they are and who I am so that I can interact with them like a loving father, And so he says to them, go to your room. Get out of my way for just a minute. I don't know if I can be with you right now. I'm really, really angry. I'm really, really angry. And so Moses just continues to plead with God to lead them on this journey and not to be done with them. So now it's a question of how God's going to interact with his people. Is God from this moment on going to switch hats and put on the police officer hat? And just look at these people like criminals waiting for them to mess up again so that he can slap the cuffs on them and throw them behind bars and put them back in jail, if you will. Or is he going to look at them like a loving father does towards his children? Then Moses gets incredibly bold and he asks God to do something for him. He tells God, hey God, I've been talking to you, we've been interacting but I'd really like to see you. I'd really like to behold what you look like. Can I get a glimpse of you and your presence and your glory? This guy's bold, so he's why he's a leader. And God says, yeah, I'll give you a glimpse. Look at Exodus chapter 33, beginning verse number 19. 33, 19. Then the Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. How much goodness does God have? A lot, good answer, son. I don't know. Like, you can't, like, quantify it, right? And God says, I'm going to let all of my goodness. Have you ever seen the goodness of God? I've seen the goodness of God. And he says to Moses, I'm going to let you see all of my goodness. He goes on in verse number 19 to say, and I will call out my name. He's going to introduce himself. 
You remember that moment when you met somebody that's very meaningful to you in your life now and they first put out their hand and they extended to you um, a greeting and they told you who they are? God is about to introduce himself, a formal introduction to Moses. And he says, I'll call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. So we're beginning to understand the power of God's presence. He goes on in verse 21. It says, look, stand near me on this rock. Verse 22, as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. So I'm going to let you get a little glimpse of me, but it's just going to be a little sliver of my backside because you can't behold everything that I am, especially my face. Chapter 34, verse number 1. Then the Lord told Moses, do you think that God had Moses' attention at this point? I mean, he just let him see all of his goodness, got to catch a glimpse of his backside. Do you think Moses is listening in this moment? If you really find yourself in the presence of God and aware of his presence, you will have a heightened sense and readiness to listen to God. Some of you today are going to get more out of what I say than others, and it's not because I did a better job or a worse job or anything like that. Some of you right now are more aware of God's presence, and you are ready to hear not from me, but from God. Some of you are going to walk out of here and say, man, he just really blew it this morning. And I may, but some of you are going to walk out of this morning, man, God, you just spoke so loudly to me. Had nothing to do with me, the messenger. Had everything to do with us and our awareness of the presence of God. Do you realize that we are in the presence of God this morning? The living God that brought the people out of Exodus is here with us this morning. And just as he wanted to tell Moses something that Moses did not need to miss, he has something to say to me, and he has something to say to you that we do not need to miss. So he has Moses' attention. 34.1, God tells Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. Wait a minute, like the first ones? Yes, we're doing this all over. The first time God had Moses write down the commandments on stone tablets. But if you remember, Moses came down the mountain. People were worshiping the golden cow. What did Moses do with those tablets? In his anger, which was righteous, he took them and he threw them and he broke them. Symbolically showing us exactly what the people of Israel had done. They had broken the Ten Commandments. And Moses is having to do it all over again. I really think that as Moses is chiseling out the Ten Commandments for the second time, I don't know how many tries it took, but I think this was the birth of autocorrect spell check. I think Moses thought, man, what if we had some kind of contraption where if I messed up on this piece of tablet, it would just make it right. I think that maybe, 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 This is where Moses thought, man, if I'd only saved that document, right? He's having to do it for the second time. I'm talking hammer, chisel. 
I mean, I don't know about you. I don't handwrite a whole lot of stuff anymore. I just don't. I, I really don't. And I handwrite. And I'm like, ah, you know, scratch it out, go again. Here's Moses, hammer and chisel, doing it all over again. Moses for the second time. I can't imagine the first time hearing from God saying, write these things down. And then the second time, hey, we broke those. I know why, so write them down again, chiseling them out. He goes on to say, I will write them, I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Verse 2. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one else is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried, out, carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name. Yahweh, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. Are you, are you catching what's happening right now? God is talking, and God is expressing by way of words his very character to Moses. And he says to him again, backing up, he says, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. And so God takes this moment to formally introduce himself to Moses, and he gives us his name, and his name is Yahweh, Yahweh or the Lord. Yahweh being the, the old language, the Lord being the language that we would understand. And when he declared his name to um, Moses, in his name summed up who he was and all that he did. If, if you want to get a, just kind of a working definition of Yahweh or the Lord, it is a name that describes everything about God and his character and everything that he does as a result of his character. So it's a name that just kind of fully encompasses everything about God. It's a name that the people of Israel held in very high regard. In fact, at some point in history, they, they quit saying Yahweh because they thought the name was too holy for them to utter it with their lips. And let's be honest, that's how holy God is, right? And yet he allows us today to utter the name Yahweh, the Lord, all that he is and all that he does. And then he begins on, uh, continues on to describe his character. He gives us six, six facets, if you will, six parts of his character here from Scripture. And the first thing that he declares about himself is that he's a God of compassion and mercy. Compassion and mercy. And mercy. Um, one author by the name of Laney uh, defines the word compassion this way. Listen, a deep and tender feeling of compassion, such as is aroused by the sight of weakness or suffering in those that are dear to us or need our help. I'm going to read it again. A deep and tender feeling of compassion, such as aroused by the sight of weakness or suffering in those that are dear to us or need our help. Um, I think it's very um, incredible that this week I spent a week in another country with a group called 
compassion. And I watched how they, through the local church, the people of God, just were the hands and feet to people just like we described. People that are dear to us are people that deeply need our help. And us reaching down and touching them, helping them, serving them. That's what I saw this past week. And listen, when God looks at you and I, he sees someone that he deeply loves. And he sees someone that's deeply in need. And I think for some of us who are blessed to live in the prosperous place that we live, I think sometimes we forget how desperately in need that we are. And yet God looks at you and I with compassion, understanding our deep spiritual need for him, understanding we cannot function, move, breathe, make it here or hereafter without him. And so he looks down on you and I with compassion. And he touches us, and he loves us, and he gives us himself. This mercy that he speaks of is a heartfelt response to help someone who is in need but doesn't deserve it. The idea of a strong person helping a weak person. Is that not a good thought about God? A strong person helping a weak person. When you think about God's mercy, it is God and all of his strength looking down at us and all of our frailty and serving us. He also goes on to say that he is slow to anger. I don't know about you, but I'm like, thank you, God. Hallelujah. Praise your name. If I were God, Oh, man, I would fly off the handle all of the time. Are you with me? That whole saying, man, I you know, hope God doesn't like shoot down lightning on me. If I were God, I would shoot down lightning all the time. Are you with me? I mean, think about the things that you and I get angry about. My steak is overcooked. Send it back and send me the manager. And in that moment, some of us, I mean, we, we've about just lost it. Or how about this one? It is so hot in here. Oh, my goodness. Can they not set the temperature correctly for me? Think about the things that we lose our self-control about when we're angry. And then think, think for just a minute about the things God is slow to be angry about. Things he should be and could be angry about. But he chooses to be slow to anger. Do you realize that you and I are still living and breathing today because God is slow to anger? He looks at me, he looks at you, there's plenty that he could be angry about, plenty he could send down lightning for, but he chooses to be slow to anger. The reason why you and I came into existence is because he looked at our mom and our dad and he chose to be slow in anger. The reason why our mom and dad were in existence is because he looked at their mom and dad and he was slow to anger. Oh, God, he's slow to anger. This next that he reveals about himself is that he's filled with unfailing love. Unfailing love. Let me give you some words that try to um, help describe the love of God that we sung about this morning. Consistent Ever faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, one way. 
Let me just explain that one really quick. Let me say it again. One way. God loves us knowing there's a good chance we will never, ever love him in return. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love me to get anything back from us. He loves us because he loves us. He's filled with unfailing love. God's love will never be exhausted. He'll never reach the end of it because it's founded on his infinitely gracious character. Another thing that he declares about himself is that he's filled with faithfulness. He's dependable. He's trustworthy. He's credible. His character never changes. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And then this next one's huge. He declares that he forgives. He says, I forgive. When you do wrong, when you fail to keep your promises, God says, when you sin against me, when you break my commandments, I will forgive you. It's going to cost me, God, more than you know, but I'm going to let you off the hook. Think that for just a minute. God's saying to me, God's saying to you, it's going to cost me more than you could ever know, but I'm going to let you off the hook. And then he declares about himself, I am just. I am just. God is full of compassion and grace. God is slow to anger. He is quick to forgive. But he says, I will not allow unrepentant sinners to go unpunished. Wait a minute, that that seems kind of unfair. That seems a little bit inconsistent. It does When you're one of the ones who bowed down to the golden calf and you experience the anger and the wrath of God as a result of it. But what? What if you realize that you are the ones that were freed from slavery because God in his righteous anger chose to to pour out his wrath upon Egyptians that were holding you there? He is the one that sent the mean, terrible plagues as a result of his justice to free you from slavery. God is just, and God is full of compassion and grace. God reveals literally the goodness of his character even when he executes judgment. I'm going to repeat that. God even shows forth his goodness when he chooses to execute judgment. If that is too deep and too far of a thought for you, it is for me too. But that is our God. He is too great, too mighty, too holy, too glorious for us to fully comprehend. And yet he knows us. He sees us. He loves us. He sees all the evil things about us and he's willing to forgive us. And so God says, you know what, I'm not just going to say this stuff about myself. I'm going to prove it to you. And so God will continue talking, and he's literally going to redeclare his covenant with his people. He would continue to love them as a father, not look at them as a policeman would a criminal. He would continue to guide them along their journey. He would continue to show them grace and mercy. Look at chapter 34, verse number 10. The Lord replied, listen, I am making a covenant with you. In the presence of all your people. I want to pause right there and then we'll finish that verse. One quick thing I want to tell you, and you've probably heard me say it before, and if you hang around, you're going to hear me say it again because it's so very important to know about a covenant. A covenant is not a contract. 
We, we know all about contracts. Contracts say, if you do this, I'll do that. A covenant says, I'm going to do this no matter what you do. And our God is not a contract God. He is a covenant God. And he says, I'm going to love you whether you love me back or not. Everything I tell you I'm going to do, I'm going to do regardless of whether you do or not. Now, does God put some stipulations in the covenant to say, I'm doing this, so I want you to do this in return. I expect you to do this in return. Absolutely. But when we don't do what we shouldn't do, or what we should do, I should say, God does not opt out of the covenant because he can't. He says, I'm committed to you forever in this. A covenant for God is forever. And he renews his covenant with the people through Moses. In verse 10, it goes on to say, listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. God says, you know what, I'm going to work among you and I'm going to do things in your midst and around you, and by you, and through you, and for you, so that all the world may know that I am Yahweh. So that they will know who I am and what I do. I want the whole world, not just you, not just you, I want the whole world to know who I am. I want them to know about my compassion and my mercy. I want them to know about my forgiveness. I want them to know about my unfailing love. I want them to know that I am just. I want them to know that I don't let anyone or anything get away with sin. I want them to experience me and everything I have for them. I want to do things among you that have never been seen around the world. So what does God give these people that are sitting there thinking we have blown it? I mean, just a couple of weeks went by since he gave us the Ten Commandments. And in your face, we don't care about you. We worship the golden calf. Will God ever speak to us again? Will he destroy us? Will he go with us? Will we ever have relationship with him again? And God says to the people, I'm giving you hope. I'm here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to offer forgiveness to you. I know this is the big thing I want you to get today, and that is this. It is the unchanging character of God that brings us hope. It is the unchanging character of God that brings us hope. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're someone that believes in the Word of God and believes in Jesus, uh, that should just flood over you as a refreshment because you know that to be true. You need to be reminded of that is true. Uh, you should know that is being true, and you should just like right now in your heart be worshiping God for his unfailing character because you know that regardless of what happens in this world, in the next one, you have hope. You have hope. You know where you're going when you die. You know where you're going to spend eternity. There's no question in your mind. You have hope because of the unchanging character of God. You are not banking your eternity based on your works or your doings. You're banking your eternity on the work and the character of God. And I stand here today saying to you, I'm going to spend eternity with God forever. Not because I'm a good person. Not because I'm pastor. Not because I went to Peru to love on some little kids. I'm going to heaven when I die because of the unchanging character of God, which is full of compassion and grace and forgiveness. And he extends it to us through Jesus. And oh, he offers his covenant to his people. But listen, 
He offers us today a new covenant, an even better covenant. It's revealed to us, not just in his words, but through himself. And his name is Jesus. Do you realize how good we've got it today to know the whole story? We don't just have the Exodus story, but we've got the rest of the story. And we get to see the full glory of God in Jesus When we read about Jesus, we're reading about God himself in the flesh. We're reading about our Savior. We're reading about our Rescuer. He's not some cloud over there. He is a person, and he is real, and he loves us. And Jesus, who came here to this earth and was God and took on flesh like you and I have, and he lived and he breathed among us. And the difference was he did it without sin. And then... To prove to us how serious he is about his covenant with his people, Old Testament and New Testament, people of old and people of now, Jesus went to the cross to die for my sin and for your sin. It is how God desires to carry out his character of being just. He wants to take on and did take on all of my sin and all of your sin on the cross when he died so that we don't have to suffer the consequences for it. That's how God just reveals himself fully. It's through Jesus, and Jesus bled there, and he died there, and he took on my sin, he took on your sin, he took on their sins, he took on Pharaoh's sins. He took on that person that you have in your life that did you royally wrong, and you don't want to talk to him again. And you don't want to see him again. He died for them too. And he died for you because you're that person that some people don't want to see again. And you're that person that some people don't want to talk to again. And you're that person that did somebody royally wrong. And every one of us are that somebody that did God royally wrong. And he says, you know what? I want to extend to you my grace and my forgiveness. I'm not going to ignore your sin. Your forgiveness is going to cost you more than you can even imagine. For God, it cost him the death of his one and only son, Jesus. That's what he did for us. He didn't say, ah, no big deal, I forgive you. He said, very big deal. Let my son die, and through his death, I'll forgive you. Of anything that you have done, of everything that you have done. That's the character of God that brings anyone and everyone hope. Regardless of where we have been, regardless of what we have done, regardless of what we have not done, regardless of what our character looks like to the world, God sees it all. He sees all the grossness about us. He sees all the evil about us. He sees all the wickedness about us. And he also sees us as his created beings. And he says, I love you. And I give you Jesus. And if that's not good enough, I'm just going to put some extra oomph to this. And after my son dies, he's going to stay dead three days. He's going to get up from the grave, and he's going to be alive so that every single person can experience a new life now and a new life for eternity. It is the unchanging character of God that brings hope. Jesus, God unleashing all of his mercy and grace. 
God unleashing all of his wrath. And through Jesus, God is not just forgiving us, but he's replacing that sin with himself. Do you see what I just said? He didn't just say, okay, the sin's gone, no big deal. He removes the sin and he moves into our lives. That's how God works. He makes this incredible trade. Hey, you give me your sin, I'll give you Jesus. You give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. Wait a minute, that's a really bad deal for you, God. Absolutely, it's a bad deal for God. But why would we not take it? It's there. It's available. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 through 5. Once, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But... When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Moses got to get this glimpse of God and who he was and, 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 and what did Moses do as a result of experiencing God's presence? He bowed in, in, in awe and in worship. And I don't know if you know this or not, but today, December the 20th, is it 20th? November, I don't know what it is. This day, I've been in another country. They have a different calendar down there. Yeah. November, thank you. November the 19th, a day that will live in a November the 19th, 2017, right? Am I right? Okay, cool. All right. Do you realize that this day, this very group of people, we have a greater and grander and clearer view of God available to us than Moses did that day on the mountain. Because we get the whole story. And most importantly, we get to see the climax of the story in Jesus Moses got to get his glimpse of God, a little view of his backside, and God telling a few things about himself. And Moses couldn't help but just get on his face and worship. We are here today in the very presence of God, understanding what we 
do, even if you've only heard what I have expressed today about Jesus, <laughs> we have seen the very presence of God in him and through him. We get the full revelation of God and his glory in Christ Jesus. As believers, he lives not in our camp or in our church house, but in our hearts. He lives in us. We have been forgiven. The bonds of slavery have been broken. We've been made his very own children. We've been made new. We have witnessed the very character of God. And we have the character of God living in us, the Holy Spirit. If Moses fell to his face in worship of God on that day, what should we do today? How should we respond today? How should we react to Jesus today? What should we do in just interacting with him today? I could give you a long, long, long list of ideas of how I think maybe you need to react to Jesus today, how you need to respond to Jesus today. But here's what I know. Respond to Jesus today. This moment that we're about to have, this is not about my sermon. This is not about music. This is not about the quality of your experience at Holland Chapel today. This is about the presence of God today. This is about Jesus being revealed today through his word and through his life and us First and foremost, God's people reacting, responding to Jesus today. Oh, that we would respond to him today. So our next step is simple today. My next step today is to respond to Jesus by and just fill in the blank. I don't know what that needs to be for you. But we need to respond to him. For some of you have never placed your faith and confidence and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And you need to place your faith. You need to respond to Jesus today by faith and say you are who you said you are. You did what you said you did. I believe that you're the rescuer, not of the people of Exodus, but my soul. And I want to receive you today and experience the forgiveness that we've talked about. For some of you, you're just like, you know what? I believe in Jesus. And my response to Jesus today is I just need to obey. I need to do what. For some of you, I need to worship. Like, I, I don't, those, those first two songs, I didn't really know them, and I didn't like them very well, so I just, I just didn't sing very much, and I don't, I don't know, I, I just couldn't worship very well. Are you telling me that the very presence of Jesus is not enough for you to worship him? Well, man, that guy that's up there talking, I don't know, I don't understand half of what he says, and he's kind of weird. And You're telling that you're, you're going you're gonna to determine how you respond to Jesus based on me? Jesus is here today, people. He's alive today. He's trying his best to work in and through our hearts today. And let me tell you something. He's working in and throughout the world. <laughs> I witnessed this last week. And guess what? Those little people, didn't have, they didn't care whether I had a beard or not. They didn't care how I was dressed. All they cared is that I loved them and I was expressing Jesus. That's all they cared. Oh, what if we as a church here in the United States just came to that place? Like, we are just consumed with Jesus. Like, we just talk about Jesus all the time. And people wonder why in the world we talk about Jesus all the time. We're like, well, that's just who it's all about. Oh, that we would recognize him today and respond to him today. Let's pray.